Welcome to The Lead. I'm Pamela Brown in for Jake Tapper, and we begin with breaking news in our politics lead. Lawmakers on Capitol Hill are voting now over a censure resolution for Republican Congressman Paul Gozar of Arizona. After he posted a violent anime video on his social media appearing to depict him killing Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and attacking President Biden. Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez spoke before the vote and pleaded with members to call out Gosar's behavior as unacceptable. What is so hard about saying that this is wrong? It's pretty cut and dry. Do you find, does anyone in this chamber find this behavior acceptable? Then Gozar took the floor moments later saying he didn't mean to offend anyone and the video is actually a nuanced commentary on the Biden administration's immigration policies. I do not espouse violence towards anyone. I never have. It was not my purpose to make anyone upset. I voluntarily took the cartoon down, not because it was itself a threat, but because some thought it was. Out of compassion for those who generally felt offense, I self-censored. There is no threat in the cartoon other than the threat to immig- the immigration poses to our country. And no threat was intended by my staff or me. CNN congressional correspondent Jessica Dean joins me live on Capitol Hill. So, Jessica, this vote is ongoing, but it is likely to pass, right? That's right, Pamela. We are expecting this to pass. At this point, it's just a numbers game. This voting just starting a few moments ago. And right now, it is strictly down party lines. Uh, We do expect Congressman uh, Adam Kinzinger and Congresswoman Liz Cheney to join the Democrats, but it remains to be unseen if other Republicans will cross party lines here. Uh, We spoke with Congresswoman Nancy Mace earlier today. She was still undecided. Decided. Uh, she was sorting through some of that. So we will keep an eye on if there are any other crossovers. But the bottom line here is this will pass uh, with the Democratic majority, uh, Pamela. And it is the first time we've seen a censure vote going through in 10 years. It was 10 years ago Democrats censured their own uh, Congressman Charlie Rangel for multiple ethics violations. And what is unique about a censure vote, which is the most severe punishment uh, that they can put forth in the House of Representatives, it is symbolic. Uh, but what is unique about it is that Paul Gosar will stand in the well of the House once this passes and it will be read to him, um, which is a unique part of this. Another part of this resolution would strip Gosar from the two committees on which he serves, one of which, the very powerful House Oversight Committee, uh, he also serves on with Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez. So you heard uh, from her earlier. You also heard from Congressman Gosar really doubling down. We've yet to hear a public apology from him. And Ocasio- Cortez telling us she has not heard a private apology from him or from House Minority Leader uh, Kevin McCarthy, Pamela. Uh, he really said earlier today, essentially, look, if we win the majority back in 2022, we're going to take retribution and get ready. Uh, I talked to Congresswoman Ilhan Omar earlier today. She told me that was childish. She's one of the people that Republicans would have their eye on, Pamela. All right, Jessica Dean, thanks for breaking it down for us, bringing us the latest there on Capitol Hill. So let's discuss all of this with our panel. I'm going to start with you, former Congressman, Republican Congressman Charlie Dent, because you have been talking to your former um, colleagues on the Hill. Republicans, as we know, as Jessica just laid out, are largely expected to vote against this. What message does that send? Are Republicans really okay with what Congressman Gosar did? Of course not. They're not okay with it. But I think what's more more troubling is the fact that there you just saw several defending Paul Gosar's indefensible conduct, but who's defending John Katko right now? 
publicly. I wish they'd defend him as strongly as they're trying to strip him from a committee assignment for voting for an infrastructure bill. I mean, these types of motions that you're seeing today on censure are reserved for people who have engaged in misconduct or violated standards of conduct. That's what it's about, not, not for some policy disagreement. So that's what I find so, so troubling, right. that the people who are misbehaving aren't being held to account, and the people who are behaving honorably, like John Katko, are, are being keelhauled. Right. John Kacko, one of 13 yeah. Republicans who voted for the bipartisan infrastructure bill. And as or we not. know, the, the money from this bill will, will greatly benefit his district and others of Republicans' districts. And yet you see this dynamic at play here where Republicans, Gloria, are, are threatening those who voted for the bipartisan infrastructure bill for the sin of giving Biden a win. And yet here you, you heard today on the floor McCarthy and other Republicans defending Paul Gosar. So, you know, this has nothing to do with policy. It really doesn't even have anything to do with politics, per se, what you believe. What it has to do with is uh, Kevin McCarthy wanting to get the majority, wanting to become speaker and saying, you know, we're not going to give you an inch on this. You think Kevin McCarthy thinks this was a great thing? No. But did he apologize? Did Gosar apologize? No, 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 no. He said, oh, we took it down. That's fine. We took it down. And this is an indication, unfortunately, and McCarthy, you know, gave you the roadmap here of what you're going to mm-hmm. see if they take control of the House, because what they'll do is they'll they'll an eye for an eye, baby. And we're going to call up people like Maxine Waters, you know, who they mentioned on the floor today, who said, you know, be strong and in, in demonstrating and whatever. And they're going to call her up and say, well, we're going to censure her because you censured the saint. Paul Gosar, right. who threatened the life of another member of Congress. And I say, well, this wasn't that serious. You really believe that was serious? This was a cartoon for him. We have that sound, actually, if we can play it, where yeah. Kevin McCarthy is talking about what will happen if the Republicans take majority in 2022. Let's listen. Under the Pelosi president, all the members that I have mentioned earlier will need the approval of a majority to keep those positions in the future. So what do you think, Paul, when you hear that as Gloria laid out, this is a preview of what is to come if Republicans are the majority? Right. They're not saying to America, uh, if you put us in the majority, we'll help make your life easier. Right. You have two really radical different parties right now. The Democratic Party has its debate. It's a debate about the size and the scale and the scope and the speed of aid to the middle class. Right. And, And that's an honorable debate that political parties have for centuries. Republicans debate is democracy or autocracy. Right. Debate or violence. And let me tell you, autocracy and violence went in, in a route. We will know by the end of this program how many Republicans are willing to stand up and say it's wrong to to suggest violence on a member of Congress and the president of the United States. And I bet you the number is going to count on one hand. Right. Uh, and it's I- really atrocious. But that's their message to the American people. We'll exact revenge on people who don't look like us. Right. And I just want to note that Liz Cheney, uh, we've just understand, just voted um, for the censure, which was expected. So one Republican so far voting for. And it was really interesting because you heard Leader McCarthy, sorry, not Leader McCarthy, you heard Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader, I should say, speak. And he tried to make this case that this is a double standard, that Democrats do the same thing. Let's listen to what he said on that. When a congressman on the Intelligence Committee was targeted by a suspected Chinese Communist Party agent for years, The Democrats kept him on the committee. Why? Rules for thee, but not for me. When a Democrat congresswoman said, 
Israel was hypnotized the world. That supporting Israel is all about the Benjamins. And that 9-11 was, some people did something. The Democrats actually defended her. Why? Rules for thee, but not for me. I also want to note, many Democrats condemned yeah, that. Exactly. Um, but here's what Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said shortly after that. When the Republican leader rose to talk about how there are all of these double standards and lists a litany of all these different things, not once did he list an example of a member of Congress threatening the life of another. This is not about a double standard. Francesca, what do you think? So what I've been hearing from Democrats on and off the Hill today is whether or not this would open the door for a precedent for Republicans to be able to do the same thing if they take the majority uh, next year after next year's elections. And so while there is some concern about that, they view this mainly as something they just could not let go, that the conference was in lockstep with Speaker Pelosi on this, more so than almost anything else recently, that there is no place for violence, that something had to be done, and that the things that you're talking about, those other comments, are, are different than what was being discussed with Representative Gozar. I do want to oh, go ahead. No, I, I just think this whole notion that this is hypocritical of the of the Democrats is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's just not the same thing. He was threatening someone's life. I mean, this is, you know, he said they said, oh, this is a cartoon. And he sent an email. Gosar sent an email to constituents saying, you know, I'm allowed to appeal to young people. And this is the way to reach young people. This is ridiculous. This was offensive. And if you were AOC or any other member of Congress, having lived through the insurrection mm -hmm. on January 6th, it's particularly what, offensive. I want to pick up on that because uh, my reporting indicates that there is an uptick in violent threats against members of Congress. Right. And we right. saw it, of course, on January 6th. But there had been this um, steady crescendo sort of leading up to that and beyond. And yet you heard Republicans there downplay it as a silly cartoon. No big deal. Madison Carthorn um, tweeting out today, political correctness is so stupid. Um, you know, basically, if this bothers you, shut up. But let's not forget that when a member of Congress sends out a video like this, it goes out to all of his followers. It gets shared. There is a higher responsibility, is there not? There, there is. And, and in fact, you know, just Marjorie Taylor Greene, she tweeted out the phone numbers of all these Congress, these 13 congressmen who voted for the infrastructure bill, one of whom, Fred Upton, you know, received, you know, credible death threats over the over the phone. I mean, the, the, the challenge right now is that the standards that we used to maintain standards of conduct. I was chair of the ethics committee. I had to deal with these problems. We used to be able to get members of Congress to resign rather than force them to go through what they just went through now. Deal with these kinds of situations publicly. We, we, we would force people out, and it happened. I saw Speaker Boehner, Speaker Ryan, Speaker Pelosi all force out members who became an embarrassment or a distraction. We didn't want to deal with it in this kind of a public manner. And what's even more troubling is uh, there, there, will be, there, there will be tit for tat, and you watch what happens next year. I think Pelosi made a mistake when she removed Jim Banks and Jim Jordan from that mm -hmm. select committee because that opens the door now for Republicans to do the same thing. I would not have done that. That was a mistake. They're so, going to yeah. do it anyway, yeah. Charlie. But they wouldn't have They're gonna, If they get this majority. But look, we are more fundamentally, rather than me arguing. I don't agree with those guys on that, but I, just, right. but I think it was a mistake. We're entering a phase of political violence, the likes of which we haven't seen since the run-up to the Civil War. 
10 years ago, Gabby Giffords was shot doing her job at a, at a, at a mall in, in Arizona. A federal judge with her was murdered. Uh, in 2017, Steve Scalise, a Republican whip, shot by some animal who hated Republicans. Uh, in, in 2019, some, a Trump supporter was sending pipe bombs to critics of, uh, of, of Mr. Trump, including people at this network. Uh, we saw the insurrection. In the first or second year of the Obama administration, some neo-Nazi was, was uh, uh, stopped at the Holocaust Museum. He murdered a guard in his car. There was a list of Jews who worked for Barack Obama. This is an era of political violence, so our leaders have to bring the temperature down. And I blame Mr. Trump first and now Mr. McCarthy. They are not bringing the temperature well, down and condemning violence. And they have to do that because people are getting hurt. And, and might I really remind quick, you Let me just say, um, yes. Kensinger also just voted in favor of which Joanne Cheney, so two Republicans. That gets, you to, that gets you to two. Not surprised, but go ahead. Might I remind you that a lot of these Republicans ran for the hills when Donald Trump would tweet something offensive. And they didn't want to talk about it, much less censure him or say he was wrong or anything like that. So they're not going to censure Gosar because there's another excuse. There's always another excuse. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're seeing. And I agree with you because what's very sad about all of this is that this is what we're in for. You, you change political parties now, it's going to be an eye for an eye. And everything will become, you know, elevated to, to, to a degree that it really shouldn't be. Maybe it should be handled in the Ethics Committee or whatever. Gosar needed to be censured, as far as I'm concerned, for inciting violence, particularly in this context. But this is, we're, we're in for a rough time. Francesca, what do you think? What, what are your sources in the White House telling you about all this? Well, the White House said today that the president also believes that there is no place for violence. But they also made the same comparison that Charlie made earlier on. They said that Look, when you compare this to infrastructure and some of the threats that Republican lawmakers who voted for infrastructure were getting because of that, 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 that this is way, this is way different than, than even that. And so they believe that they should be able to come together uh, on, the, on what should be a bipartisan measure here. But when you talk about January 6th, the other thing I'm hearing from Democrats, Pamela, is that in the context of January 6th and, and what happened with the riots at the Capitol, that this is just a completely different ballgame now when you're talking about threats of violence against members of Congress. Right. And, and why, why can't Republicans publicly say that they understand the difference, right? That they, they can understand that this isn't just a cartoon, that this is a, a, a video tweeted out by a member of Congress that is basically glorifying violence. Yeah, I, I think what's happening is that if you ask them privately, I think they would all say they're they're appalled by this behavior, this 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 behavior by Paul Gosar. And it's not the first time, by the way, where he's done things. He's been controversial have, in the past, but this yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, these when when members bring discredit upon the House, somebody has to stand up. And I think what's happening right now is that some Republicans, the thirteen, for example, who voted for uh, the infrastructure bill, I think th th this whole notion of taking them off their committees is a brushback pitch. They're throwing the ball at them so that, hey, those guys, oh, how many of them are going to actually vote to censure Paul Gosar now? Why? Because well, th th there's a risk for them to do that because some members may come back and they'll try to strip them because they stripped Gosar. I mean, this is how bad it's gotten. I mean, I'm telling you, this is what, this is what I see happening. It's, it's terrible when ethics becomes a partisan issue. That committee is evenly split, five totally. and five. We were we, 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 if we were going to sanction somebody, we had to do it on a bipartisan basis. It's terrible. You know, and the irony here, of course, is that Kevin McCarthy, who wants to become the next Speaker of the House, is out on the floor defending Gosar by turn, trying to turn the tables, I thought ineffectively, but trying to turn the tables on, 
on Nancy Pelosi. So is this worth it? Say he gets to become speaker. A lot of these Gosar Republicans, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, won't vote for McCarthy because they think he's being too nice, playing too nice with these moderates that you're talking about, uh, Charlie. And, and Donald Trump has also hinted that he may, you know, he may take on Kevin McCarthy, that perhaps he doesn't want Kevin McCarthy to be the next speaker because he doesn't play with the Trump program enough. Right. So, you know, this this could all change. He could be doing this and not get the reward that he actually wants. And just as we're talking, David Joyce, Republican on the Ethics Committee, um, voted present. So you see that there on the board. So um, everything is ongoing at this hour. And I'm wondering if we could just take a step back, Paul, have you have we ever seen this kind of just dysfunction, as you just pointed out, as Congressman Dent just pointed out, of just not even being able to agree on ethics and like this even, in the history of this country? Well, where, not even being able to agree on violence, on inciting violence. He didn't commit violence. I want to be uh, fair to Mr. Gosar. But, you know, you have to step back to our history. A hundred years ago, there were dozens of members of the House, the Senate and governors who were Ku Klux Klansmen. Every one of them was a Democrat. The Democrats it took years. Democrats expelled them from their party. Uh, when Reagan was creating the new Republican Party, there were the John Bircher extremists, Ronald Reagan, William F. Buckley, other leaders of that movement, purged them out of that movement. Uh, when David Duke was running as a Republican in Louisiana, George H.W. Bush disavowed him and effectively excommunicated him from the Republican Party. This is what leaders do. And this is the failure of Kevin McCarthy, of Mitch McConnell, of Mr. Trump. They have got to stand up and purge those extremists, but they don't want to. I don't know if they, I think some of them, McCarthy and McConnell, need them and want to use them. But I think some of them, like Mr. Trump, is one of them. Mm -hmm. You know what leaders used to do? I'll tell you what, when people got in trouble when Boehner was speaker, they'd be summoned to the office. And, you know, you'd be asked, is this true? If they said yes, you see that letter on the desk? That's your resignation letter. How about signing Could it? Could you do that I mean, now, that, though? You can't do they, that now. No, but that's what would happen. Because there's no leverage for that's a leader. That's what would happen. They, they, they just didn't want to deal with it. They just didn't want to deal with it. We have too many important things to deal with. And if you're a member of Congress, you don't want to be answering these questions about Paul Gosar if you're a Republican. You just mm-hmm. don't want to do it. But we can go back to the, you know, the Trump era. You know, this lowered this, the standards bar so low. And, and people don't feel shame anymore. Now they can monetize this. They can monetize the shame. I mean, where is the shame? Well, there isn't any. And that issue is the apology or lack thereof. And speaking to my sources, there was a sense that if he had apologized to the Congresswoman directly, then we might not be where we are in this vote today. But uh, that is not how he chose to pursue it. Although from Republicans I'm hearing from, they feel the fact that he showed remorse in conference and then showed remorse on the floor was good enough uh, for them. But But he didn't for 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 Democrats. uh, That that was not the case, because, again, he did not directly apologize to her and say that he was sorry. No, but he didn't even show remorse on the floor. And in this email to constituents, he was sort of like, I'm allowed to do this because I want to appeal to a younger demographic or whatever it was. And I want to talk about immigration. And this is the way to get my message across. I think, you know, you're right. There were people who came out of that conference who were saying, well, he showed remorse. But when they talked about what he said, you have a hard time finding any kind of apology in there or any kind of sense that, you know, it, it was more like this. This wasn't what I intended, but not kind of this was wrong. Right. Never. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at it today in context, you know, you only have only 23 members of Congress have ever 
been censured before today. The most recent, as we know, um, was Charlie Rangel in 2010 yeah. for ethics violations. I remember covering that at the time. He was reelected twice after that. So assuming he, um, Paul Gosar is, and we expect him to be censured today, will it have any real-life consequences for him? Well, he's getting kicked off of his committees. And so when you get kicked off of your committees, it does make it hard for you to be effective as a member of Congress to get things done for your constituents, Pamela. And in the past, when lawmakers have been uh, booted from their committees, sometimes their constituents have responded to that by putting in different members of Congress who they think might be able to be more effective. But how much do people outside of Washington, because you heard some of the Republicans try to make the case. They're not, people outside the Beltway aren't focusing on this. They, they kept bringing up the Republicans. They kept, you know, bringing up inflation, even though that was not what this vote was about yeah. today. They're bringing they up clearly Biden. are trying to do, they're clearly trying to do that. But they tried to argue that's what they care about. They don't care about this vote right now. Right. Look, they, they may have a point. In, in the end, if you like Paul Gosar, this isn't going to have any effect on you because you know who Paul Gosar is. I think overall for the Republican Party, at some point you reach the proverbial fork in the road and you have to decide what you stand for and whether this is excusable or not. Today, McCarthy tried to make it about Joe Biden and about inflation and about immigration and the broken borders and Nancy Pelosi's house and all the rest of it. In the end, it was about somebody who tweeted, I mean, yeah, who tweeted something offensive and murderous, in effect. And that was what it was about. So they tried to make it about everything but. And if you are a Gosar Republican or a Marjorie Taylor Greene Republican uh, or uh, this isn't going to affect you one way or the other. There was a time and not so long ago that when a member was uh, sanctioned, censured, reprimanded, they, they, they would incur reputational damage. It would be a stain on their records and on their legacies. It's not something they wanted. I mean, now, I mean, I I just can't imagine why, you know, we don't have that same feeling now. But I mean, I I was on the ethics committee when we did the Wrangell censure. I mean, these are not easy things to do to people. You know, you really have to think hard about it. But but some of these, again, they just don't feel shame. How much do you think Donald Trump has to do with that? He lowered the bar. I mean, he lowered the bar. I mean, well, compared to Donald Trump, I mean, this, I don't know, this might have been relatively mild compared to some of the things Donald Trump said. I mean, it's bad. This this was terrible. But Mr. Garcia, it was a cartoon. I was trying to reach young people. Look at what we learned this week about Donald Trump. Gave an interview to Jonathan Carl, ABC, and he said that calling for the murder of the then sitting vice president was, and I quote, common sense. Right. Good God almighty. Okay, this is why. Why do you think Gosar does this? Right. This is what his hero does. The, the fact that, that, that it's, we're only a few months, 11 months, from when these insurrectionist terrorists were in that building hunting down those members with murderous intent. And now we know that the then president thought it was just common sense to want to murder our vice president. That, that's, that's what's going on. Leadership matters. And we have had none in the Republican Party. I want to just note really quick as we look at the board there, they are above 217. So he has been censured. Good. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Paul. I think he'll wear it as a badge of honor if you want to know the honest yeah, truth. Yeah, I mean, look at Steve Bannon. This is a badge of honor for him. You know, he's streaming it live um, and uh, outside the courthouse. And I think this is just, you know, for Gosar, there's another feather in his cap. Look at Marjorie Taylor Greene. She got taken off her committees. 
Look at her fundraising numbers. Just fine. You know, just fine. So I, I, you know, unfortunately, I don't think in the world, uh, in the real world, that uh, in the end, it's going to change a lot of people's minds. The reputational damage to the Republican Party itself that you talk about, Charlie, I think may come in the presidential uh, year. But uh, I think uh, just not enough to keep Kevin McCarthy out of a potential speaker. If you're a Republican member of Congress right now, you have to be livid about this whole situation. After Glenn Youngkin wins, you know, the message was, oh, stiff arm Donald Trump, keep him away. Yeah. And so now what are we doing? We're going we're following Donald Trump to try to go after 13 good Republican members who voted for infrastructure. Uh, We're not going after people like Gosar who have embraced Trump strongly and are, are behaving badly. And so we're talking about that instead of things they'd rather talk about, you know, the economy, the build back better being too expensive, whatever they want to talk about. But they're talking about these fringe elements within the party who have been who have not who have not been pushed aside. We used to marginalize people like that, mm-hmm. not marginalize the normal people who were voting for an infrastructure bill, who were on one of whom was an Air Force general, one of whom was an FBI agent, one of whom was a U.S. attorney. We're going to go after those guys who bring credit upon the House. But we're going to leave alone those who bring discredit upon the house. That's gonna... because Trump has told them to. Mm-hmm. Gloria, I just I mean... want to come back to something that you said <laughs> you said a moment ago right before that, is whether or not this is enough to keep uh, McCarthy from becoming Speaker of the House. And and that's such a that's a much broader point, right, yeah. than this one congressional district. When you look at the generic ballot advantage that Republicans had in a poll this week, uh, when you look at the 2022 midterm elections and all the seats that Republicans right. could pick up, the, is the average American likely to hold their member of Congress accountable for something right. that another member of Congress did or, or consider who's going to be the next Speaker of the House potentially as they're casting their vote? That's that's probably right. not uh, likely. And so when you talk about the chances that Republicans have of taking the House, there's so many other things at play. And uh, for many Americans, this probably is not one of them. I mean, women voters might be a little upset by this. Let's right. just let's just say that suburban women probably take a look at this video and say, eh. But when Not you're talking so about the economy and COVID-19 yeah. and the legislation yep. that's under consideration right now in uh, the House and the right. Senate, there are other issues that uh, that Americans, when you poll them, say are of the highest importance exactly. to them as they're considering yeah. their vote in the it's next election. It's not Paul Gosar. The, the, right. the midterm election is going to be about the party in power and the president. I mean, that's what it's going to be about. Now, situations like this don't help. You know, this is how you can blow it if you're the Republicans, if you have too many you know, distractions like this. But at the end of the day, the midterm is going to be about mm-hmm. Biden and Democrats. I'm so and curious. Go ahead. B- Biden, like Charlie, like a lot of old school Republicans, operates under the theory that politics should be about trying to make people's lives better. Right. Now, you and Biden would argue about the best way to do sure. it. You and I would argue. Yeah. But Mr. Trump has pioneered a new kind of politics, and you're seeing it on the floor today. And it's the politics of identity and grievance uh, from extreme right wingers. It, the, the, no one is standing up there talking about, we learned today 100,000 people died in the last year from opioid overdose. Mm-hmm. My guess is it disproportionately impacts counties where Mr. Trump succeeded politically. Uh, all of us should be focused on doing something for those folks. But instead, instead of saying, I'm going to really combat the opioid crisis, or I'm going to really try to ro- ro- lower the price of gasoline, or all the grievances that people justifiably have, they're simply saying, I'm going to hate AOC as much as you. And that poor woman already is facing death threats. But they're dis- diverting and distracting away from people's real lives with, oh, look at her, hate the other, let's threaten AOC. I don't share AOC's politics, but good Lord, that woman is a, a, a rising star in my party and now facing threats of violence, even from her colleague. It's demonizing the other but side. That's what Kevin McCarthy 
said the Democrats are doing. <laughs> yeah, he said. <laughs> well, okay. The Democrats have lots of he bills said, that they're trying to we, pass that actually affect people's lives. Why are we wasting lives? our time right. uh, on Gosar when we have this list of we had this list of problems to which Nancy Pelosi could have replied. You know, we just passed an infrastructure bill. Why are you campaigning against those Republicans who who voted for it? You're going to support that. But it goes back and forth and it's never it's ending, ending, which is why the American public is just so fed up. Right. I mean, every Republican I have on my show on the weekend, they always do that. They bring up, well, look at what Maxine Waters has said. Right. Look at what AOC, you know, so forth and so on. And it's just created this dynamic. You look at it and then you see what happened today on the floor and the rhetoric and the divide, and you just think, where is the future of democracy? I mean, what is the future of this country? Well, and how many of those Republicans, you know, you mentioned that so many probably don't look at it just a cartoon, even though they publicly come out and say, oh, no big deal. How many of, of those Republicans do you think that spoke out and voted against censure actually were horrified by the video? And if, if, if it had been a Democrat who had tweeted it out, they would have well, voted for it. When I first saw it, I just thought it was really bizarre. I mean, that was my first reaction. This is bizarre. I had to watch it a couple times to see what was going on. But I think most of them are really mortified. And they think that this guy, you know, he's, he's been a problem. He's been a distraction. He makes their lives miserable. They'd wish he'd go away. And this is why I, it comes down to leadership. You know, I, like I said, I saw, I saw other speakers and leaders take care of their problems. When Wiener got in trouble, Nancy Pelosi dealt with it. When several Republicans got in trouble, I saw John Boehner and Paul Ryan deal with Trent Franks. I saw these people were gone. Quickly, they dealt with the problems internally. They didn't force these public spectacles. But nowadays, again, because these members are able to go out now after being censured, and they'll raise a gazillion dollars, they'll monetize it, and that's changed. They used to be so marginalized, they couldn't, they couldn't do anything. They couldn't operate. Nobody wanted to be near them. They were radioactive. Not anymore. Charlie, you're representative, though, of the split that's taking place in the Republican Party right now over the grievance politics. And you, know, you mentioned the grievance politics, and you have to look at someone like Chris Christie this week talking about this also. And there are so many Republicans who, especially in light of the, uh, the Virginia election and heading into the midterms, want to see the party move away from those grievance politics and focus on some of those kitchen table issues right. like we were talking about before, where they do believe that they would have a better chance of winning on those issues in the, the midterm elections. And and you talked about former President Trump, who did not win the last election. And they say, OK, Look, that is I'm going to have to interrupt. We're going to the House floor. Let's listen. Oh. Motion to reconsider is laid on the table. All right. So. Not very um, exciting. She just said the motion has has been adopted. So uh, Paul Gosar, the Republican from Arizona, has been censured. Okay, let's listen to uh, Nancy Pelosi. Representative Gosar present himself in the well. By its adoption of House Resolution 789, the House has resolved that Representative Paul Gosar of Arizona be censured that Representative Paul Gosar forthwith present himself in the well of the House for the pronouncement of censure, that Representative Paul Gosar be censured with the public reading of this resolution by the Speaker, and that Representative Paul Gosar be and is hereby removed from the Committee on Natural Resources and the Committee on Oversight and Reform. The Chair will now entertain requests for one-minute speeches. Okay, so um, you just heard there Nancy Pelosi speaking there on the floor. Uh, Paul Gosar has been censured. Two Republicans did vote for this. One voted present. 
That was uh, David Joyce. Um, he is on the Ethics Committee, and uh, he said, he told Armani Raju, my colleague, that um, he voted present because the, the Ethics Committee is going to be meeting about the Gosar matter, yeah. and so that is why he did. That was always the case. When, uh, when I was on the committee, if I knew an issue was coming to the committee, we were, we were basically told to vote present, because if we vote on the issue, then we've already revealed our bias. So that's probably why he voted present. I'm surprised all the, re all the Republicans and Democrats on the Ethics Committee just didn't vote present if this was going to be referred to them. But Probably he's already because, censured. But I mean, is it because of Donald, going back to Donald Trump and, yeah. you know, the fear of Madam Speaker, his wrath, Paul? Well, and, and it's, it's not just him. It's who he inspires. You know, most people, most Republicans are good people and they're, they're normal people and they love their country and they love their neighbor. But when you, when you get a platform, Mr. Trump had the largest platform in the world. He still has quite a large one. You start to realize, if you have a brain, that there are some fringe people out there, tiny percent, tiny fraction. But you need to really be careful of what you do and say, this is why the House has all these rules, the distinguished gentleman from Pennsylvania. Because there was a time when, when Preston Brooks, a South Carolina congressman, beat Charles Sumner into a coma on the Senate floor. Uh, and so we set up all these these rules. And when you have a platform like Mr. Trump has or Mr. McCarthy or Senator McConnell, it's the, it's more important than ever with social media to make sure that you send out the signal that there are lines you cannot cross. And we'll have big debates about this and that. But, but no one, very few in the Republican leadership, apparently two in the entire House of Representatives are willing to say that threats of violence against a congresswoman is across the line. Where is the line? I'm just curious. Uh, where, where is the line? I mean, it's totally disappeared. And as you look towards 2024, you look at Chris Christie, his great interview with Dana Bash, it's very clear to me that he is looking for sort of a third way right. here to try and say, okay, Trump, that's about the past. Let's talk about the future. We're not going to talk about the rigged election anymore, et cetera, et cetera. But now it's no longer, it's about the rigged election in Donald Trump's mind. But it has evolved into grievance right. beyond that about everything. And I think that's what you see with, with Gosar. It's about grievance about the Democrats. It's about grievance about their policy. It's, it's, it's everything is put into sort of black and white terms. You know you can't legislate that way. Infrastructure wasn't done that way. You can't get anything done that way. And that's that's politics. And that, yeah, and that is, I was going to say, that is the, the point that I'm hearing from some Republicans, that you can't win on grievance politics. Donald Trump could not win on grievance politics. Right. And that is not how you will take back the House. That's not how you take back the Senate. And it's certainly not how you, how you will take back the presidency. You need to be focusing on the issues that the average American cares about. But I mean, look, I mean, the Republicans voting against, uh, voting for infrastructure, I mean, you already have Donald Trump coming out wanting to primary them, you know, gearing up other Republicans against them. How do you... How self-destructive is that, by the way? I mean, we're talking uh, two members from New York who are freshmen, very more, more vulnerable. Uh, Brian Fitzpatrick in Pennsylvania. These are some of the most competitive seats in the country. So, yeah, let's primary them and hand the seats over right. to the Democrat. Now, how does that is self-defeating, self-destructive, and it is stupid. I mean, there is I mean, there's no excuse for that. I mean, it is so toned is so dumb on so many levels and wrong. But what's, what's I think what's really wrong with our politics. So you got the far, you got the Trumpian right, which a lot of people are sick of. They're tired of his behavior. You got the far left that's talking about defund the police and abolish ICE and, you know, all kinds of stuff. I mean, and there's a center left to center right in the country. That feels like it is terribly underrepresented in government right now. Yeah. 
I mean, I've, I've interviewed several of those voters myself. Yeah. All right. Thank you all for that marathon panel. <laughs> I appreciate it. We are standing by for President Biden to speak this hour as he touts the infrastructure bill and tries to get support for the next chapter of his agenda. Breaking news in our national lead today. One of the three men accused of chasing down and murdering an unarmed black jogger named Ahmad Arbery took the stand in his own defense. CNN's Ryan Young is at the courthouse for us. So, Ryan, he described the shooting. What did he say? Yeah, Pamela, we are still watching this as we speak right now because the prosecution is actually talking to Travis McMichael right now. Um, all day long, the defense has been asking him questions, building up to the moment where the shot was fired. In fact, take a listen to some of this testimony. I knew that he was on me. I knew that I was, I was losing this. I knew that if I was getting tripped, if I would have tripped, or if he would have got a lucky strike on my head, or if I would have have lost that grip on that shotgun, that I've um, that I would have been shot, or I would have been I would have been in serious trouble at that point. Do you at that time? Did you remember how many times you shot the gun? No, I didn't. I, did I thought I shot twice, and but, but you shot it. You you I shot it. Yes. Yeah, Pamela. So many questions in this case, especially from the defense today in terms of just the idea of how this all started. The fact that the men went running to their truck, the fact they went running for a shotgun and they were behind him all this time. And then at some point uh, that shot was being fired. You heard him say he didn't even realize that he shot the gun three times. And we know that first shot was fatal for Mr. Arbery. This still continues right now as we're watching it. Um, as the questions go on, hopefully for another half hour or so, there's some other questions that are lingering out there, especially when it comes to uh, will his father also testify now that his son has in this case? Pamela? So as he is answering questions there on the stand, the defense has complained about black pastors being in the courtroom. The Reverend Jesse Jackson was there today and more are planning to come, we understand. Yeah, this has been the big question in this city so far. I can tell you there has really been no issues outside of the court, but tomorrow we know for a fact that at least 100 plan to be here because uh, the attorney, Kevin Goff, has said he didn't want extra pastors here. They heard the call from across the country, know where they're filling in. They plan to surround the courthouse tomorrow and have a prayer vigil here. So that's really had people starting to talk about what could happen, but obviously they're pastors. So they say they're here to support the family. And as we see this play out, I think it's quite shocking to hear how the explanation of how the shooting happened. But again, tomorrow there'll be hundreds of extra people hundreds of extra eyes on this case. Pamela? And you have three defense attorneys in this case as well. How has that complicated matters? Well, that is an excellent question because you've seen sometimes the defense attorneys haven't got along on this. When Kevin Goff stood up and talked about those black pastors, the other two defense attorneys could be seen sort of squeaming in their seats trying to figure out exactly where this was going to go. In fact, one of the other defense attorneys came out and basically called the comments uh, just not uh, great comments in terms of how this has moved forward. I think it's sort of energized other people to come to town. There's only been one march so far since this uh, court case has started. We know there'll be another march tomorrow. So it'll be interesting to see how the three play off each other. Um, obviously, each of them has a different goal. But today, this is crucial testimony that is going on as we speak. 
It absolutely is. Ryan Young, thank you so much. Also internationally, new questions today from the jury deliberating the fate of Kyle Rittenhouse, the 18-year-old on trial for shooting three men during protests in 2020 in Kenosha, Wisconsin, killing two of them. And among their questions today, the jury asked how they could review video evidence played during the trial. CNN's Omar Jimenez is live outside the courthouse. Omar, the question of exactly what the jury could see and how turning to quite the debate today. It really did, Pamela. Now, for starters, the jury will get to view some videos on a clean computer in the jury room, but the main dispute came over one piece of video in particular, a drone video from that night in August 2020. Basically, what happened, according to the prosecution, is a Kenosha police detective obtained this video, then airdropped it to the prosecution. The prosecution then emailed it to themselves under one file name. Then separately, they asked the police detective to email that video to the prosecution. But it was an email, so it compressed the video, and that was the video that was sent to the defense. Then compression obviously matters because you lose some of the quality of the video. The defense said that's not fair, that they should have gotten the higher quality uh, version of this video, and they took it a step further and said that because of this, they are now going to file another motion for a mistrial, this time without prejudice, meaning it could be tried again on the grounds of fairness around this single piece of video. Take a listen. Tell you what we think, but it doesn't matter what we think because we don't get to present that to the jury anymore. We got a compressed version, which was not of the quality that they had. We learned that Friday after the evidence had been closed. Yeah, so the state said that they didn't even know about it until a few days ago, as you hear the defense complaining on when that came. The state, though, argued in return that we are focusing too much on a technical glitch, that this trial shouldn't be turned into a mistrial because of a technical glitch, and that the defense had a chance to view this video up close, so so did the jurors, during the actual trial when it was played in court. The judge did not make a ruling either on this mistrial file or they said they're going to file one or on the previous one filed with prejudice, meaning that it wouldn't be tried again, Pamela. It's been an active day. Very, I would say. Omar Jimenez, thanks for bringing us the latest there in Kenosha. And we are waiting to hear from President Biden in Detroit speaking any moment, trying to drum up support for the next chapter of his economic agenda. Stay with us. In our politics lead, he is one of the most prominent faces of the January 6th insurrection. Jacob Chansley, the so-called QAnon shaman who wandered through the U.S. Senate chamber wearing a headdress and face paint. Well, now, face paint, we should say. Now, as CNN congressional correspondent Ryan Nobles reports, he's going to prison for more than three years. It is the harshest sentence handed down to rioters in the January 6th Capitol insurrection. Jacob Chansley, the so-called QAnon shaman, was one of the first people to storm the Capitol. He defiantly climbed the Senate dais shirtless and clad in a horned bearskin headdress and left a note that warned, quote, justice is coming. His theatrics all part of an attempt to interrupt the certification of the election results. The Justice Department wants his sentence to serve as an example to others, and the judge agreed handing him 41 months in prison, plus 36 months of supervised release. His attorney asking the public for grace. We all need to be patient because the last thing we can do is to act 
devoid of compassion and tell someone they're nuts. All that does is steal the resolve and make permanent that great divide. Meanwhile, the January 6th Select Committee continues their probe into who is responsible for the deadly riot. We've had over 200 interviews with witnesses. We've looked at over 25,000 documents. We continue to make significant progress. They contend they are making progress, despite resistance from those loyal to former President Donald Trump. The committee is holding off on referring former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows for criminal contempt of Congress, instead writing him a letter with a list of what they want to know from him, including answers to questions about a personal cell phone and messages they say Meadows may have destroyed. We have information that uh, that phone may or may not be in his possession. Uh, the number's not active anymore that he used, so we just want to know. While Meadows remains defiant, the committee continues to insist that he must appear. You can't uh, stay home and sit on your couch and um, you know, talk to people about the Fifth Amendment or executive privilege, but not show up. You have a legal duty to show up. Now, once you show up, you begin to answer questions. Meadows, just one of 35 subpoenas issued by the committee. Other targets also continue to evade their requests. Former DOJ official Jeffrey Clark is still in a standoff with the committee, and members say Trump associates like Dan Scavino and Cash Patel have had their subpoena deadlines postponed while they negotiate. Despite this lack of cooperation, Chairman Benny Thompson says more subpoenas are coming this week. And meanwhile, the legal problems for perhaps the most prominent subpoena target, Steve Bannon, continue. He informed the federal court today that he plans to plead not guilty to that charge of criminal contempt of Congress. He was supposed to be arraigned tomorrow, but because he filed this today, it likely means that that arraignment won't happen. They will now set a trial date, and that process will continue. Pam? Okay, Ryan Nobles, thanks so much for that. And now to our world lead. Today, Chinese state media is claiming tennis star Peng Shui is backtracking allegations of sexual assault against a former top Communist Party leader after a growing number of members from the international tennis community began demanding answers as to why she hasn't been seen publicly in weeks. Now CNN's Ivan Watson is looking into those explosive Me Too allegations and if that correspondence from Peng Shui is actually from her. The royalty of professional tennis expressing concern about the welfare of one of their own. Honestly, it's shocking, you know, that, that she's missing. Warnings echoed by other champions, past and present. I hope Peng Shui and her family are safe and okay, writes Naomi Osaka, adding, hashtag, where is Peng Shui? I've known Peng since she was 14, writes Chris Ebert. Where is she? Peng Shui, a Chinese tennis champion. Peng Shui moves into the quarterfinals. Hasn't been seen or heard from in weeks. This is really extraordinary. A top athlete, 35 years old, a name that a lot of people know, formerly number one ranked doubles player in the world, just goes missing, gone. In early November, Peng published this bombshell post on her Chinese social media account. An open letter to a former top communist leader named Zhang Gaoli, now aged 75, who Peng accuses of sexually assaulting her after the two had an affair. Why did you have to come back to me, take me to your home to force me to have sex with you, the post reads. Yes, I did not have any evidence, and it was simply impossible to have evidence. 
CNN cannot independently confirm these allegations, and we've reached out to Peng as well as Zhang and his wife through the Chinese government for further comment with no results. Shortly after the controversial post, Peng's online profile more or less disappeared. Until recently, Peng Shui was one of the biggest tennis stars in China. But look what happens when you try to search for people with her name in the Chinese internet. You get the message, no results found. Censors have all but scrubbed this woman from the Chinese internet. Beijing has zero tolerance for outside criticism of the country's ruling elite. Zhang was a member of the Chinese Communist Party's seven-person Politburo Standing Committee, the country's top decision-making body. A powerful man who rubbed shoulders with Chinese leader Xi Jinping until his retirement in 2018. In the past, foreign athletes have paid a price for challenging China. The NBA has always been Beijing quick to cut off access to its lucrative market when players from the NBA or Britain's Premier League criticized its human rights record. Whether it's the NBA, whether it might be the International Olympic Committee in a few months, do they stand for human rights and investigations of allegations of sexual assault? Or do they stand all about money? For now, professional tennis is not backing down. The chairman of the Women's Tennis Association demanding for Peng Shui to be heard writing, the allegations must be investigated fully, fairly, transparently, and without censorship. The ball is now in Beijing's court. Oh, that's a great forehand for Peng. Now, Pamela, the original statement that Peng Shui published at the beginning of the month was some 1,600 words long. It was very emotional, describing somebody who's clearly distraught and struggling and feeling morally compromised. And now Chinese state media has published this email purportedly from Peng Shui, just 10 sentences long, recanting all of this, saying she's okay and ending with, I hope Chinese tennis will become better and better. The CEO of the Women's Tennis Association has responded to it in writing, and this is what he says, quote, the statement released today by Chinese state media concerning Peng Shui only raises my concerns as to her safety and whereabouts. I have a hard time believing that Peng Shui actually wrote the email we received or believes what is being attributed to her. The WTA and the rest of the world need independent and verifiable proof that she is safe. This is a, a strange and disturbing story that's only gotten stranger. Pamela. Certainly. Ivan Watson, thank you. I'm Pamela Brown and for Jake Tapper. Our coverage continues next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.